The book of Isaiah chapter number 14 today. Isaiah chapter 14 in your Bible. Isaiah 14, and as soon as you find it, just stand to your feet and we'll read God's Word together. Isaiah chapter 14, and I'll begin reading in verse number 12. Isaiah 14 and 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer means shining one. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, meaning God, capital H. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. And they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world like a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof that opened not the house of his prisoners. And so we have the account of Satan. The only time he's called Lucifer, I believe, in all of the Bible, but Lucifer, Satan, the evil one. You will notice in verses 13 and 14, he says, I I, I, I. It's all about him. And he ends up in rebellion against God, and he's cast down to hell in verse number 15. Thank you, and you may be seated. <clears throat> the subject today is the evil that is consuming America. The evil that is consuming America. As I've told you numerous times, the Bible, Christianity, deals with what we call the ultimate questions. Oh, how I wish everybody would stop and spend a few minutes or better, a few hours just contemplating the ultimate questions. Christianity is the only religion that answers all of these questions clearly and succinctly. What are the ultimate questions? The question is, the one of origin. Where did I come from? That's a profound question. The way you answer that will determine almost everything about your life and how you act. The second question is, well, where will I go when I die? And that influences us profoundly as well. And then another of the ultimate questions is, what is the purpose of our existence? Why am I here? What is life about? What is the meaning of this thing that we call life that God gives to us? And then the fourth of the ultimate questions you find here, and that is, if God is all-powerful, and if God is truly loving and He cares about us, and if God is all-wise and He knows everything there is to know, then 
How could he allow so much evil and suffering in the universe? This is absolutely one of the most profound things we ever encounter. If God is all-powerful, which means he can do anything he wishes, he's sovereign. If he has all knowledge and wisdom and knows everything, and yet he is all-loving simultaneously, why would he allow evil and suffering to exist? I can't pick a more relevant subject this morning if you're a thinking person with me today because this past couple of weeks in America, we have seen this question become paramount in importance to us again. The Florida school shooting where a man walked into a school and 19-year-old former student took an automatic or a semi-automatic gun and he killed 17 people and shot up a bunch of other people. And the whole nation has been riveted on that scene ever since it occurred. And it reminds us all, again, if we're thinking people, you know, the, and the reason I keep saying that, I think America is losing its ability to think seriously about anything. I think we have been entertained into oblivion. And we don't even want to deal with serious Christianity or serious questions and issues of life. We just want to blow them off and say, I want to go on and enjoy my life. But we, that's partially the reason we have some of the problems that we do. We refuse to think deeply and especially about our Christian faith. And so down in Florida, we see this horrible tragedy occur. And it reminds us of the reality of evil and the power of evil. I was watching the news on television the other night. I think it was Thursday night. And Eric Trump, the son of the president of the United States, said to the host in his comments, he said, we're talking about controlling guns. We're talking about mental health issues. We're talking about school security, hardening the schools and protecting them. But he said, I still feel like we're missing it, that all of that's above the real problem. And he said, he asked this question, how do we solve the problem of evil in our society? I thought, what a profound question coming from a person who I have no idea at all what his religious affiliation or background is, but I know one thing, he has thought deeply and he understands that this is more about, this, this involves more than just guns and mental health and uh, school security. This is one of the most profound questions to face a society and or to face you and me as individuals because we have to face it too. This question of why God would allow so much evil and suffering in his universe if he's a good and loving and powerful God. This question, you know, has been around since the beginning of time. Einstein, the great physicist who discovered the theory of relativity, and with that, we then became, we were able to develop the atomic bomb and atomic energy because of Einstein. And he's viewed today as being one of the most brilliant men 
ever to live in this nation. And Einstein came to the point in all of his brilliance and deep thought, he believed there was a God. There was a superintending power. He rejected the idea of the Big Bang, that things can just, you know, that, that things just happen, that everything comes from nothing, that, that kind of concept. He rejected that. But he didn't become a Christian because he stumbled over this question. If there is a good, all-powerful, all-wise God, then why would he permit so much evil and suffering in the universe? That was the thing that hung Einstein up. And it will hang everybody up if they think about it, unless you go to the Word of God where you can, I believe, find the answers. Where did evil come from? Evil entered the universe... The universe, through Satan, of course, and we've just read one account of that. The Bible just introduces him quickly here in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. But it asks the question, why have you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? So we know pretty much who that is. But we go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 28 for a more detailed explanation. Turn there, please, with me in your Bible, and you'll find a, a far more detailed passage dealing with this whole issue, Ezekiel chapter 28, <clears throat> and we begin in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, this is symbolic and metaphoric language, so this is Satan he's talking about here, referred to in this passage as the king of Tyrus. Say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom. And so Satan is full of wisdom. In fact, in my opinion, Satan is the wisest being in all the universe outside of the Trinity. Satan is brilliantly wise. And then it says he is perfect in beauty. It calls him the shining star, Lucifer. So he is very, his appearance obviously is not a fellow with a pitchfork and a red uh, suit of underwear and horns protruding from his head. Not at all. When the Bible shows Satan, it shows him to be a beautiful, beautiful and attractive creature, a, a, an angel of light, it calls him in another place. And we know this is Satan because in verse 13, it says he's been in Eden, the garden of God. And then it lists these nine precious stones, and it says he was covered with them. Now, what makes this a significant thing? And you can read the, the, the listing of the stones there. I don't even know that I need to read them. Nine different precious stones. They are the same precious stones that the high priest bore upon his breastplate when he did his work before God, when he ministered before God in the tabernacle and in the ancient Jewish temple. So this, I'm not sure all that means, except that it has some connection with some priestly office, some responsibility and duty that Satan had in heaven before he fell, in which he was ministering to the Lord. And so he is brilliant in his wisdom wise, full of wisdom. He is stunningly beautiful. And here he has been in Eden. We know about that, don't we? And 
he has, he's clothed in these stones. And then it says down at the end of verse number 13, though, very important for you to know about him, he was created. He was a created being. He didn't always exist. He's not like God who is eternal. He was made. He was created as part of God's handiwork. And then in verse 14, it says, he is the anointed cherub. The cherubs were the highest order of angels. They were the angels who, in fact, ministered in the very presence of God. And if you look at verse 14 in the middle, it says, I have set thee upon the holy mountain. That's a reference to heaven itself. So he was in heaven, the heaven of God, the holy mountain of God, in the very presence of God, thou hast walked up and down the midst of the stones of fire. The stones of fire is a veiled reference to the very immediate presence of God. He, was, he had a position that nobody else had. Here is God and here is Satan clothed in these stones, ministering in some priestly office in the very immediate presence of Almighty God. And if you will continue with me here, in verse number 15, he was perfect in all of his ways from the day he was created. Another reminder, he was made, he was created, he, didn't, he was not eternal in his existence. And then it says in verse 15, notice this, underscore this, but iniquity, meaning sin, meaning evil, meaning wickedness, was found in him. And if you will go down to verse 17 for the sake of time, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Thou hast corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. You are arrogant and you're stuck on yourself. And in the other passage, he says, ah, 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 it's all about him. And God said, because of your sin and the iniquity that's found in you, I will cast you to the ground. I will lay you before kings and that, that they may behold you. You have defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, etc., etc. And so... We know the rest of the story of how because he was so lifted up with pride, he actually thought he could defeat God. What supreme arrogance. And this pride with which he was lifted up there in verse 17, and he led a rebellion against God. Here is somebody so supremely arrogant, they think they can defeat God. And he led this crusade, if you will, against Almighty God. And he convinced a third, one-third of the angels to follow him. And finally, God cast him out of heaven. We'll talk about that in a moment. So that's the story of where evil first arose in all the history of the universe. Now, Go back to a passage you're very familiar with, Genesis chapter 3, and now evil is in the universe, and evil now moves from the universe, it moves into the human race. And you know that story, don't you, very, very well, but let's look at it again because it's so important. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast in the field that the Lord had made, and he said to the woman, yea, hath God said, did God really say 
Question mark, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You mean God is withholding some good things from you that he ought to be letting you do? He's restraining your freedom? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it. That's a lie. He didn't say that. He said, don't eat it. She added to the word of God. You shall not touch it lest you die. So already the word of God is being manipulated here a little bit. The the serpent said to the woman, and he denied what God said, you shall not die because God had said that. He categorically denied the word of God. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened. You'll have powers you don't have now. You will be like God himself, knowing good and evil, having wisdom you don't have. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and she desired it to make her wise, she took of the fruit, overt disobedience, and she ate. And she gave it to her husband, who was willingly involved with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked. They had no consciousness of that. But now conscience awakens in them. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons and so on. And so sin comes in because the woman listens to the voice of the serpent. The serpent here is not an ordinary snake. Don't think something slithering around on the ground. Go down to verse number 14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed, and you will crawl on your belly in the dust. So before that, there's no evidence that the serpent was a slithering being crawling around like we picture a snake today, but I don't really know what form that serpent was in other than I think he was beautiful. I think he was a living being that Satan had possessed and taken control of. And now, ever since then, he slithered on the ground. But that verse implies that he did not slither on the ground prior to this episode here. Notice it says he was subtle, that Satan is crafty, that he's cunning, that his whole modus operandi is to deceive people. Notice here that he is seething with hatred for God, and at the very first opportunity, he corrects the Word of God. He denies the truth of God's Word. He had a strategy. He wasn't just operating randomly. What was Satan's strategy? It was to raise in the mind of Eve questions. What kind of question? To question the very goodness of God. Why would God restrict you? Why would God keep back from you something which would bring you joy and enjoyment in your life? He questioned the principles of God's word to her. I want you to notice that she was deceived. She willingly chose to disobey God that nobody made her disobey God. She was not compelled by satanic power to disobey God. She voluntarily, willingly made a choice 
to do exactly what God had told her not to do. It was an internal decision. It was not, she was not compelled by any force or anyone. She willingly made a choice. She decided, I will oppose what God has told me to do. And that moment, everything changed. Sin came into the universe, the physical universe, as well as the spiritual universe. We call this original sin. The first instance of a human being sinning, opening up himself or herself, in this case, to evil. And not compelled, but voluntarily opposing God. And we call it also not only original sin entering in, but we also call it the fall, the fall. When man fell from his perfect position in relationship to God, where he had fellowship and access to Almighty God, but now sin has come in and sin has absolutely blocked that fellowship, that relationship between God and his creatures. And so each of us then inherited that sin, that sinful nature. That's why it's easy for me to do wrong. It's easier to do wrong many times than it is to do right. I have those genes, if you will. I have that tendency, that temptation, that propensity to do what I know will not please the Lord. And every single one of us have that in our hearts. That's the Bible. That's Christianity's explanation of where evil originated in the heart of Satan and then came into the human race. Now, there are other There are other explanations for the existence of evil. There's determinism, which says that evil is a result of our genes, that uh, something went wrong in our programming, and we're just determined to do evil, that the young man down in Florida who killed all those people, something is awry in him, but everybody else doesn't necessarily have the same problem. And then there's Hinduism, and Christian science, a variant of it, that says evil is just an illusion. It's not really real. It's in our minds that this whole thing is really just a mental thing. And then there's deism. Deism is an offshoot of Christianity, which believes that God is mighty. God is great and sovereign. God is transcendent. He is so high. He is so distant from us. He created the heaven and the earth, and he kind of wound it up like an alarm clock. He threw it out there into space, and we've been orbiting now for these thousands of years. God went off to other pursuits. He's not really very interested in the day-by-day happenings of our lives, and he is removed from us. He is so transcendent, so far, so distant, so high, so great, that he's really not involved with us. So if evil happens, it happens. That's our problem. And then there's dualism, which comes from Taoism, an Eastern religion practiced in China and India and Indonesia. Two opposite forces, good and bad, they call it the yin and the yang. 
And they're always dueling. They're in conflict with each other. And inside every person, there's this conflict of good and bad. And uh, that's that's the, the basis of evil. There's process theology, which you're probably not familiar with as a layperson, but it's well known, not by the name. A few years ago, a rabbi named Rabbi Kushner wrote a a book called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Well, the title of it is bad because there aren't any good people. (laughs) According to what the Bible says, we all have been infected with this disease of sin, have we not? So in the ultimate case, none of us are really good. We're partially, we're a mixture of good and bad. Well, Rabbi Kushner wrote the book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And basically, the bottom line of his book is that God is not able to control everything, that the universe is still evolving, and by by the way, even God is evolving with it. And every now and then, things just sort of get out of hand. God is not the sovereign ruler of everything, and when it gets out of hand, evil happens. And so that's his explanation for evil. And then there are some Christians even believe that God made evil to use for his own purposes, that he is the originator, the creator of evil, and certainly we don't believe that. Now, here's what I want you to understand about Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is not a myth, Genesis 3 is not a fable. Genesis 3 is not a metaphor, an allegory for us. It is God's own account of how evil came into the human race. The fall, original sin, the seeds of evil planted in the race that affect everyone. And I want you to clearly understand evil as you try to interpret the events of the world around you as a believer today. I want you to have a clear understanding of what evil truly is. And it's really hard to define. So are you listening to me? Well, uh, that means 10% of you are listening to me. How many are listening? All right, I want you to listen to this. I, I may not live long enough to preach it again. I don't know, so... I want you to get it. Evil is not a thing or a substance. I can't get a bottle and put evil in it. I can't get a box and get evil into it and wrap it up real quick and real tight so that the evil doesn't escape. Evil is not a substance. Evil is negative. Everything about it, in fact, is negative, is totally negative, which makes it so hard to define. Evil is the absence of God. Evil is the absence of goodness and righteousness and morality. Evil is resistance to and rebellion against God and his law. And it doesn't have to be a terrible act. You don't have to kill 17 people to practice evil. The child who steals the cookie that mother told him not to bother has committed an act of evil. We don't say evil is the bad, bad things and sins are these little things. Evil is any act of sin or wickedness or iniquity that a person commits, no matter how trivial it can be. 
How do I explain evil to an audience? Here's my best attempt. What is darkness? Darkness is not a thing in itself. Darkness is the absence of light. I came in this in this building yesterday, and it is so black in here with no windows and everybody shut down. And I walked to the sound booth there and hit the switch, and suddenly the building is, looks like it does right now. The light drove out every vestige of darkness. So darkness is not a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. Take cold. What is cold? Cold is the absence of heat. Absolute zero is the point at which there is zero heat. And cold takes over when the darkness or when the heat goes out, like light takes over and drives out darkness. Do you ever try to tell anybody what a hole is? Do you ever write a definition of a hole? A hole in the ground I'm talking about. What is a hole? It's an absence of dirt. <laughs> How do you define a hole? <laughs> well, I went out and took this shovel and made this vacuous space in the middle of the earth and threw the dirt over to the side. Well, how does a hole exist? A hole doesn't exist except in relation to the dirt around it, right? So what is evil? Evil is an absence of God. It is the absence of righteousness. It's the absence of good and goodness. It is the absence of morality. Now, once it rushes in, it has power. It can take over and it can control. But it's the absence of everything God has told us to be and wants us to be. When the good is absent or it's so weakened that it has no power, then evil floods in and overwhelms us. I spent some time this past two weeks, I was going to preach this sermon last Sunday morning, right after that shooting happened. And as you know, my wife had the flu and I was with her. Well, I studied these shooters. I looked up a lot of information that was available. Do you know what I find? I find a fascination with darkness. Dylan Claybolt, who was the brains behind the Columbine, Columbine thing, spent hours after hours after hours playing the video game Doom. He started dressing in a black trench coat after he repeatedly saw the Matrix. He was enamored by evil. He had become a student of Nazism and the occult in the whole world of Nazism. He pushed out the light and the darkness came exploding into his life. His goal was to kill more people at Columbine than Timothy McVeigh had killed four years before in Oklahoma City. And so he planted propane cylinders around the school. He could have killed 1,200 kids. 
Fortunately, the propane didn't go off and it failed. Evil, you see, and you begin to study the backgrounds of these perpetrators of this stuff and you'll see that over and over. These, for the most part, are not people who were raised on the Bible in Sunday school. And they have pushed out and driven away or perhaps never had the opportunity. Who knows? But they've got involved in so much of the evil. And there's such a weakening of righteousness and goodness that the evil takes over. And it is always from within. There's this absence of godly influences, fascination with the dark side of the internet and social media, psychotropic drugs in almost every case too, by the way, and after a while, righteousness is pushed out and the evil comes in. And it's, in, and it's internal. Remember what the scripture says about Satan? There wasn't any force that made Satan proud and arrogant. It was a choice he made. It was an internal decision on his, on his part. Iniquity was found in him. Listen to this verse. Just write it down because I don't have time for you to look it up. James 1 and 14 and 15 says, evil is internal. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lusts or desires. And when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is conceived, it brings forth death. There's the history of much of what is happening today. Mark chapter 7 in the Bible. Mark chapter 7. And I read there the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. For from within, you see it's internal, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and empty and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about gun control and mental health. It's not about school security, those, although I'm sure that ought to be looked at. But listen to me today. The problem, the evil that is consuming America is an internal problem. Eric Trump was right. How do we solve the problem of evil in our society? It won't be with more legislation. All the solutions people are proposing are external. Why doesn't God then stop the evil that's going on around us? Ladies and gentlemen, I got good news for you. He has big plans to do exactly that. It will come to an end one of these days on his time and at his pace and in his way. But you see, the universe operates by natural laws. The law of thermodynamics. The laws of physics that Einstein was so brilliant in. The laws of light, even, and refraction, and aerodynamics, and all these scientific principles and laws by which the, the entire physical universe operates. 
You get in an airplane and there's laws controlling that flight pattern. The reason that airplane comes up off of the field is because there are laws of aerodynamics that are controlling it and they always work. They're reliable. Now, when we come to the moral universe, let me tell you, God operates by moral law just as regularly and faithfully as he does by natural law. And I, I need to read this and go quickly through it because, but please listen to me. So here I'm answering the question, why doesn't God stop evil? Why doesn't God, why didn't he make that rifle jam? Why doesn't he stop that person who intends to kill people and do great harm to other people? Here's why. Because God made us in his own image. You know that. Part of the image of God in me is that God gave me the power to make a choice. Freedom of the will, we call it. A tree doesn't have that. Even a dog doesn't have that. He operates from instincts and conditioning. But I can rationally step back as a person made in the image of God, and I can make a choice, a rational choice. God gave me that power of choice. And then God loves me. He made me because he wanted someone to love. And he wanted someone who would voluntarily, freely return that love and love him in return. Put him first to show him my appreciation and love for my being. But for love to be genuine, there's got to be freedom. He didn't make me a computer, a robot, an automaton. I don't have to love God as Eve demonstrated, she had the choice. She could go with Satan or she could go with the Lord. And so there must be freedom to love or not love. And with the possibility, with, with freedom, there comes the possibility of making the wrong choice. God gave her the freedom to choose whatever she wanted and she chose against him. Why didn't God stop that? To stop that, he'd have to take away her power of choice. He'd have to make her, he would have to take her out of his image. She would no longer have the freedom of the will to make the choices that she wanted to make. She now is a programmed, automaton, robotic, computerized figure. To be human is to have the power to choose and to do wrong. And God would have to undo the laws of the whole moral universe were he to make it any different, and he chooses not to. And so I find myself today living in, an, in a nation in America that is being consumed by evil, overwhelmed with it. Yes, there's many good people. Yes, there are many good things. But evil seems to be in control of so much. And we've lost our virtue and we've lost our love of righteousness. And we've lost our moral compass. We're losing our goodness. Like Eve, we rejected what God said for us to do. We've rejected the faith of our fathers. We've rejected the Ten Commandments. We've kicked God out the door. We're hostile as a society now to Christianity itself. We've been deceived. 
We've bought Satan's lie every much as Eve bought it. The Constitution demands removal of Christianity from public life. That's a lie. The Ten Commandments are no longer relevant. That's one of Satan's lies. The purpose of life is to please yourself. That's a lie. An unborn baby is not a person. That's a lie. People ought to be free to love whomever they wish. Gay rights, that's a lie. A person can now choose his own gender. That's a lie. There's no difference between men and women. That's a lie. Christianity is a form of mental illness. Last week, Joy Behar said that on The View, and everybody applauded. They were talking about the vice president giving his testimony and not wanting to be alone in the company of other women in compromising positions. And they laughed at him and ridiculed his faith in Christ when he said, I talked to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Joy Behar said on national television with nobody correcting it, Christianity is a form of mental illness. They were saying that just before they started locking them up in the Soviet gulags, by the way. Truth is what's true to you. Relativism. No, that's a lie. So Eric Trump's question is so relevant. How do we solve the problem of evil? Man, I've spent the whole morning, haven't I? I'm over time. Don't say amen. I spent the whole morning talking about the problem. It doesn't tell me long, it doesn't take me long to tell you about the solution. I was listening to a clip of a Billy Graham message the other day. It was the last message he ever gave. And he said, I only have one message, the cross. That's the answer to Eric Trump's question. What is the solution to the evil in our society? It's the cross, ladies and gentlemen, where God Almighty came in the form of a man and stretched out his arms and died because he loved us. And because on the cross, he paid the penalty for the iniquity and sin of the whole world, from the first man to the last. Redemption is the answer to Eric Trump's question. What is the solution? It's redemption, redemption in Christ. Redemption when I come to him by faith, believing that Jesus died for my sins. And when I don't accept that redemption, then God has no choice. Judgment is the other solution. And I pray that America will turn back and we'll have revival before God brings that judgment upon us. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed.